Let's try this again. <laughs> hey, guys. How's everyone's day? Ours is pretty good. About to get better it's now that we just dropped this. And pal, you, you nailed it. Your, uh, your ears will thank you after this one. And your mind will, too. And your bank account. Oh, that is for damn sure. <laughs> guys, my name is George Boutsalis. And I'm your boy, Ricky Liordi. Oh, hey. I like that one. And this week, we had our boy Trevor Coverco on the Pals Podcast. And for those who don't know, Trevor's a former NHL draft pick to the to the New York City Rangers. Uh, he was too talented. They said that you're you're too good. You're making the team look bad. So gonna put him. Uh, they're gonna try try his hand in something else. So Trevor uh, made a switch and tried his hand in Silicon Valley. And uh, you know he calls himself a ten year crypto noob. You gotta listen to find out what that means. Um, I think I'll leave it at that. Rick, you want to hit him with it? Yeah, we want to give a big shout out to our friends over at High Rise Marketing. Anthony Mila, one of our good boys, longtime listener, such a good dude. And um, High Rise Marketing specializes in digitizing your business. During the pandemic, obviously, a lot of things have changed. But one thing that has remained the same is the importance of having an online presence for your brand and for your company. So check them out at High Rise Marketing for all your needs and to digitize your business, to create social media platform, and really just create a strong online presence. So check them out at www.highrisemkt.com or at highrisemkt on Instagram. And Georgie, what do we say? LFG. Let's go. Welcome. Trevor, welcome to the Pals Podcast. Uh, man, it's been uh, a long time coming. Long time coming. We, yeah. we were supposed to do this during COVID via Skype, and I forget why it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. Then we were supposed to do it last week. We couldn't get it. So now you're finally in the studio. Hey, it wouldn't have it any other way. That's it, eh? The vibes, <laughs> man. better we got in the studio. That's <laughs> better. That, the, yeah, the, the online stuff's not as fun. The studio's good, got Good a things nice... happen to good people. There we go. That's it. Well, Actually, I do believe that. I do believe <laughs> that. Good people, good things, good vibes. Good here, vibes, you know? good energy. Yeah. What is it? Like your attitude determines your I attitude. Saw, I saw on the top of your desk there, no time for negative bullshit. Yeah. I saw that. So yeah, I, yeah. I, put, I checked it at the door on the way in. I'm like, <laughs> this guy doesn't have time for that. <laughs> well, honestly, I, I believe that. Like the more people say you know like there's that saying where like, you work hard you get luckier i feel like if you like just put out good vibes and positive vibes typically stuff comes back if you have like a cynical mindset or you're a neg- you're a negative person you kind of attract that it's so true like yeah i forget you guys heard of naval Rodica? yeah i listen to all his podcasts yeah there's his a, episodes there's this book that came out called N- N- the navalmanac or something okay and it's some guy who just uh like consolidated all of his stuff into one book so i just bought it but one of his things was like you you can interpret anything positively or negatively yeah, like yeah. You, there's unlimited amount of ways to interpret something negatively um so it's on you to like take something and look back on it and think of ways to like look at it positively yeah. so i think i totally subscribe to that yeah yeah actually naval so i, I got on him so just so you know naval ravikant he used to be an angel investor in silicon valley like did very well him and his brother had uh had a company, I forget the name of it, but 
he basically started tweeting a lot to get his thoughts out. And a lot of them are like kind of cliche tweets, but they're just like, they're really obvious. Some of them are truisms and it's just little tidbits. That's like, you know, again, it's how you frame certain things. And he's like, a, considers himself, I guess, like a modern day philosopher almost. Okay. Yeah. And he started a podcast. So if you listen, it's all like one minute clips of his tweets and they read. So the podcast, together. each episode is just one like a minute, minutes. 30 seconds. Oh, he pasted them all together now. So you can listen like one and a half, uh, an hour and a half straight. I'm just thoughts. Yeah. I've listened to it a few times through. And now he's a new one called Spearhead that he did recently with uh, uh, his business partner, I guess. And it's a lot of tech related stuff. Yep. Yep. So really. Yeah. Good. He's like Silicon Valley kind of exactly. yeah, mentality. Yeah, I really like him. I like his vibe. Some stuff he says, you're like, okay, this is obvious. But then you don't realize that you fall into the traps that he says like yeah. a lot of people do. Right. I saw the book collection up there. I thought you might. Yeah. Know yeah. A yeah. Thing or two, I, so I actually, Naval's brother, uh, Kamal, Nivy. Yeah. He wrote a book. Uh, called like love yourself or something i one day i just came through it and i was like oh let me give us a listen i got it on audible a little bit too like self-helpy for me but yeah. it was a good listen like interesting to hear he's a story. beauty i met him randomly in california and uh in malibu we had a sushi dinner in, at nobu no shit i didn't know who he was at the time and like he's just like the he's a beauty like, yeah, yeah he's, a beauty. <laughs> he's, a, he's a legitimate beauty well, well speaking of like the west coast i guess you like you're a student of silicon valley in a sense you spent some time out yeah, there in the tech know, world to me, it's just, I have like a huge hard on for Silicon Valley. Like, just, it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> at least you can admit it. It's, and it's, it's part of like, you know, when we were growing up, like California and like all the shows we used to watch and just yeah. glamorizing it. But like, in terms of business, in terms of, um, you know, personal growth, it's just like, it, it's the real deal. And, and a lot of stuff now you can get online. You don't have to like move there. It's more of a, a mindset than it is like an actual physical location but yeah. in terms of just like operating a business in terms of like doing things the right way not being like f too flashy that's what i like about it too it, no no one like has drives ferraris doesn't matter how rich you are no one has like gucci bags and stuff it's like yeah. very it's very like substance over sizzle in in silicon valley so that's kind of like what i like about it yeah it's a good way well, to put it yeah silicon. i was just gonna say and well I, unless i'm gonna rewind a little bit i want to know and I'm sure our listeners do. How did you go from an NHL draft pick with the Rangers, I think, to tech entrepreneur, blockchain entrepreneur, crypto? Like, tell us the story because most hockey players don't find themselves in this space at this age, right? It's usually they play hockey, retire, and yeah. then you've got extra cash, you invest, and yada, yada, yada. Well, it started in New York. The coach called me in one day and he said, son, you're just too good. To <laughs> I was like, I get it. Like I get, I see where you're coming from. Like, how can I be mad about that? <laughs> you're, too good. you're too good. That's it. You gotta, you gotta hang him up. Mark King, Messi King Henry's work. getting a little bit jealous. You gotta, I actually, here, put the puppies over there. I, go. I, I actually tweeted at, uh, uh, Lungfist the other day. Cause he, he's like, he got cut or something from the yeah, Rangers. Got out. And, uh, I remember, man, because it was I was drafted in 2005, and he was undrafted, and and it was the, his first camp, rookie camp, and my first camp, and all the older guys. Wait, sorry, you went to rookie camp with Henrik Lundqvist? Yeah, dude, yeah, this is the story. This is crazy. <laughs> and we go to, uh, we go for dinner. So we pull it a little. Bit. Right, there yeah, there we go. So we go for dinner, and all the old guys are getting like steak dinners. We're in Terrytown, New York. That's where the the camp was. And then me and Henrik are like the lowest of the totem pole guys. I was a fifth round draft pick. He's undrafted and we were broke. And we go to half price appetizers at Applebee's. <laughs> and just me and him, me and him just crushing like 
Twizzlers over it for <laughs> for half price happies at Applebee's, and he's just like the nicest guy, so chill, and just like I'll always remember that, just yeah. like the but, king of New York. Yeah, now. and now he's the king, or formerly the king of New York. Yeah, right? yeah. So. So you were too good. Yes, <laughs> too, we know. Too good, too good. Like Henrik, of course. And, um, for, you know, it's kind of a blessing in disguise because I retired when I was young in like early 20s. So yeah. I could see it's kind of tough if, if to, to transition and reinvent yourself when you get a bit older, potentially. I know a lot of guys do, do it still, but, uh, you know, kind of a blessing in disguise in that way. Had some injuries, had shoulder surgery, got in a car accident as well. That kind of fully derailed kind of the, the career. And I was like, all right, we got to start from scratch. And, and, uh, all my money signing bonuses and stuff, like all that was gone. And I was like, all right, got to gotta figure it fresh out page. And, you know, I knew, I, I knew I wanted to go back to school. So, so I, you know, retired or whatever, and then went back to, to school, enrolled at Western, went to the business school there. And I was just like, I got to find a new, new identity. Cause that's all I did. As you guys know, man, yeah, in, in hockey Canada, players, all you know is hockey. And if, if for those listeners who aren't Canadian, basically, if you don't play hockey as a boy in Canada, you, they, you get deported and you get, <laughs> <laughs> they send you out of somewhere out, you know, like back to like California or something. But, um, so yeah, so that was kind of, uh, kind of starting from scratch again. And, and, uh, um, it, it was kind of a, a fresh page for me and, and kind of what I knew I wanted to do was, um, something impactful because like once you live the life a little bit and you taste it like i remember that it, in new york man it's such a in the hockey days it's such a first class organization i remember we went to a uh, an exhibition game and uh they you, you take the charter jet and, the, and then you land and they have like the old guys have their their cars idling for for them in the airport it's just like Jeez. it's so unbelievable you know kind of living that life and I was like man that was cool I really want to you know do something impactful and 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 kind of um figure out what to do so that was kind of the journey uh, in my early 20s to figure out uh, what to do after hockey so and you went to Ivy right yeah because I think that's how I met you through Sweens yes yeah, yes 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 yeah. yeah, shout out Sweens <laughs> what's up Patty <laughs> and Pete the boys but um so so yeah long story short I I um decided to um, go back to school. I really enjoyed my experience there. I actually left a little bit early because I was really getting into the tech world then and startups and early stage kind of investing and things like that. And I wasn't an engineer per se, but I could kind of understand a lot of the concepts and the architecture of, of these programs. And I got to network with a lot of really smart software engineers. When, as, as soon as I was in school, I kind of knew that's, that's who I wanted to kind of connect with. And that's what I did. I, I decided my last year between third and fourth year, I actually um, left. I, I was applying to all these programs for startups, basically. And I tell people I ended up in China. That was the place I decided to go to uh, between third and fourth year. Wow. And people are like, why'd you go to China? And there's two answers. The, <laughs> Let's hear them. The fake answer is like, well, I, I saw the mega trend of China coming and, and I decided to like do that. The real, the real answer is like we applied to every single they're called accelerator programs yeah. or incubator programs like literally on planet earth hundreds of them why combinator, y combinator tech stars every all tech them stars, yeah isn't mars the big one in toronto mars is another one yeah mars, exactly yeah, yeah. got rejected from every single one of them except the one, in one called sos ventures which is actually a really good program it's not like <laughs> and uh and and so we're like hell yeah so me and my co-founder 
went to uh to asia to uh uh kind of dive in head first and and that was kind of the beginning of the journey what uh within your co-founder time what was the the app the platform what were you what did you co-find and what was the idea behind it so it was called eprof.com and and that was i guess my first kind of main business that i started and it was online education that was something i was like kind of passionate about and i saw the the mega trend coming mm -hmm. and uh that's what we did we went down we were learning all the ba like everything about company building that you don't learn in school per se and it's not intuitive you have to like it's a learnable skill so like how to hire people how to structure a company how to set up proper governance and reporting lines how to raise money how to compensate people how to how to do all these these skills and we didn't know anything so it was kind of a long process but the one thing kind of my mindset back then was like i'm okay with two things like i'm okay with being broke and like you know just living in my parents basement and i'm also like okay of doing trying to do something really big and impactful so what i didn't want was something in the middle like just even the path i was on at school of kind of like going to finance doing consulting doing investment banking doing accounting things like this good skills and, and fun and everything but i kind of knew early while i was in school i was like i don't know if, if that's for me if i'm going to be like satisfied and, and impactful kind of doing the, the path that that they kind of put you on there so that, that was one thing i knew and i wanted to kind of go venture off and and do my own thing so do something big change the world yeah man yeah yep so and led you to china <laughs> So then what happened in China? You didn't get into incubators, you got into SOS, and, and then what came about from there? Like, what was the next move? What did the next couple of years kind of look like? Yeah, so that, that was the beginning of the journey, and, and literally since then, I, I just haven't looked back, and I've been starting companies, succeeding, failing. Uh, um, I've had some wins and losses along the way, and, and just been really like a hyper learning as much as I can along the way and trying to build my network. But that was kind of the, the first business. And since then I've probably done uh, five or six kind of major projects um, and then transition into kind of what I'm doing today. So, so the first one was eProf. Yep. What was the second? I got into, Wait, sorry. And what happened with eProf? Did it, were you, did I, is that a rude question? Shut down? Yeah, no, we had, um, we, we, we basically transitioned it into a, a, a separate business and that's kind of a trend that everything kind of, rebirth into a new yeah, thing it's yeah. kind of a pivot and going on and, and basically gosh I, I really got into one of the skills that i learned was kind of marketing online marketing internet marketing and that was something that i enjoyed and i was good at and whether that was for eprof or whether that was for other businesses um i enjoyed that and i enjoyed like buying companies and being an investor and and taking them over and learning the skills of operating to say hey let's buy a company kind of private equity style and vend it in so that's that's kind of what happened next for me is I started doing um, online businesses, like get trying to get rec recurring revenue, subscription revenue by launching software products online. Uh, so that was kind of phase two for me is I had uh, a friend of mine from Goldman Sachs, Devin Sonny and I started a, an investment fund that, that acquired um, high margin, highly profitable online businesses. Uh, in, including like eprof at the beginning that we kind of vended in and then we we kind of went went from there um afterwards so that was kind of part two after uh starting a company from from scratch yeah yeah, yeah. it was it was a lot of fun like i encourage people to look at this it's it's a really fascinating world like we have these brokers online that sell businesses and these are like i remember the first deal i looked at it was a keyword research tool so it's like if you're trying to start a business and do seo and you're trying to like 
get training wheels on how to do it, this is a, this is a great way to, um, to, to help guide you along the way. And I called the guy because you go to a broker, they give you a prospectus and they say, this is the business, this is the, the financials, this is the pros and the cons of the business, would you like to buy it? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in acquiring it. And, they said, and, and he said, okay. And I said, how much? And he said, um, deals like this go for about 18 times trailing EBITDA. So that was like the metric. So profit yeah. and a multiple and that's the price. That's like uh, PE ratios for stocks or whatever. And it was 18 and I was like, oh, that seems a little high. You What's know? this industry standard? Yeah, and that's, I didn't really know well, at the time. It, I was it like, varies by industry, varies by. No, but by. For, for tech. Isn't there like an industry it, standard for tech? No. I don't know. Is there any? I don't, it's, it varies a it's lot. It's crazy, like right? Because like, like somebody could, could, could buy you and your EBITDA. Like if I, a regular guy went and bought him, it could be like a seven, ten times multiple. But if somebody's going to buy you, you might have a synergy and be able to like amalgamate it and just blow the roof off it. It could be like they'll pay you a 20 times multiple. I yep. think it matters on a case-by-case -case basis. Exactly. That's a guess. Yep. I also, I'm just And like you look at like Facebook and so these are like a hundred times or it's because of the growth. You could, you could have huge Future multiples. earnings or whatever, yeah. But um, so, so we said 18X and I, I was like, that seems a little high. I, I kind of know the space. Um, and he's like, no, 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 not 18 <laughs> no, times, no, no. not 18 times annual EBITDA, 18 times monthly EBITDA. And I was like, wait a minute, that's like one X, two X. That's like crazy. That's like, I can pay this thing back in a year, a year and cash and flows and it goes. But it turns out there's this world that I discovered of micro cap online business investing. And that to, to your question, that's the market rate for micro cap businesses that are too small for venture capital and private equity. There's this world of like online businesses. We had content sites like a men's hairstyle blog we bought called Hairstyle on Point, And we bought that for like under 2x trailing oh. EBITDA multiples. So, so anyways, I, I really dove into that world of like, it, it was kind of the merger of finance and tech, the two things I was passionate about. And, um, and we built a portfolio of online businesses and, and just with our own capital and a few other limited partners, we got up to uh, 5 million EBITDA across the fund in the first year. And, uh, and that was kind of a big, exciting thing for me because it, it was, it had cash flows, it had growth, <laughs> it had things, things of a lot of challenges around like operations and corporate structuring and things like this. But, um, I, I encourage a lot of people to look into this. Like you can, instead of just starting stuff, you can buy businesses that are, that already have product market fit that already have revenue. Um, you don't even have to use your own money. In some cases, there's lots of ways you can do it. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned this. My brother actually, so he started a little online store on Amazon selling these, um, these little ring holders. He saw a video on YouTube, watched a couple more, read a couple articles. So he, f he found this program that shows you what products on Amazon that there's, I guess, the least amount of products, but the most amount of people buying them yep. for in comparison. So let's say there's only, there's 10,000 customers, there's only 500 products. Yep. So the, the percentage was really low. So he created this ring holder and he's apparently selling a lot of them all on Amazon with the marketing budgets and whatever. And he showed me this website where you can go and buy online stores. So they're all e-commerce stores that have sales. They're, they're already generating, they have X amount of monthly visitors or weekly, whatever. And I had no idea about yeah, any of this. I was like, how do you even find this? He goes, yeah, all online. That's, that's called Amazon FBA fulfillment by Amazon. That's a, that's a niche. So if you're looking at buying online businesses, you got to pick a, a vertical. So FBA is its own little silo. Push, and the, and then there's a little bit in more. There we go. So oh, come over here. there, you there go. we go. Right. And Better? straighten her out a bit right there. 
FB, Amazon FBA is uh, an example of, of a silo. So that's one. Another one is SaaS. So B2B SaaS Service is like recurring revenue. You have software and people pay a monthly subscription to get access to it. And then there's content and content is its own vertical. So like blogs, like literally you, you serve ads and then you get money based on how many viewers and how many clicks you have. So there's four or five kind of major verticals and they all have different. Sorry, you mentioned three. What are the other two? Um, there's productized services. So these are like, um, you hire a bunch of people to do something. It's not software. It's like people doing the work. So it's like, like a Fiverr. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Upwork. I'm trying to give an example. It's like yeah, Upwork, yeah. someone, it, it's a, a group. What was the one that we bought? Like consultants. Basically you have a group of people that you charge X for and you pay them Y for, and then you get the, the margin. The percentage. Yeah. It's, it's a little harder, those businesses, because there's a lot of management and HR involved. Um, so there's like four or five different different niches that, that you can do it, and each one of them has different pricing. So SaaS is the most expensive. Everybody wants B2B SaaS businesses. Everybody. Venture capital wants it. Private equity wants it. It's stable. It's recurring. Public markets love this. If you look at the the most expensive stocks in the world right now, Snowflake is an example. Just, just had their IPO and then Buffett buy like a billion worth of it or something. Oh my gosh, this guy, this CEO they brought in. This is a separate story, but like, is such a legend. They brought in this professional CEO called Frank Slootman for this IPO. Snowflake, it was like the most. Snowflake, sorry, just to clarify, Snowflake's an on it's uh, security data data, data data warehouse. Data like warehouse, sorry, kind of like yes, Amazon yes. kind of web service kind of comp- competitor, and it's such a investors love data subscription revenue b2b like this is like the formula that they love um anyways they brought this guy they airlifted the ceo in this happens a lot when founders start a company and then when it gets to a certain scale sometimes the founder can stick with it the whole way through and become the founder of a small idea into the operator of a huge enterprise business but that's pretty rare so you see guys like steve jobs have done it bill gates but at some point usually you have to hand the baton to like more seasoned happened with like uber when they did the culture shift they brought in uh uh, what's the k but it was but the new guy came in i can't believe they did that man like travis is such a legend and like the vent i think it was benchmark or some vc firm they, uh, f- they fired him. I'm like, yeah. man, this guy created, I, I was kind of like, I'm it very, seemed, I think more so from what I gathered, I don't know enough about the story, but I get, I gathered more so was like, if you're going to start scaling that big, some of the press that's coming out, not just around him, but again, the culture, whether it was coming, what happened with drivers and the news again, it's not yeah. something I guess they, he can control per se, but I think he just bared the brunt of a lot of it. You know, um, like the, the concept of like a player's coach. Yeah. So I'm like a, fa- like a, like a fan the, of the play. coach, the, like the coach is a player. The players are come first. Like I'm like that when it comes to founders, it's like you like the player founder the, fa- the founders like are the ones i support and if they ever like screw up or do something i'm like i can empathize because it's it's really it's really hard but anyway so so this guy frank Sloopman is just like this dutch guy and he's such a ruthless manager and just so no nonsense he doesn't like waste his time with like making statements about society and politics he's just like laser focused and he's like customer first always, always customer first, even more than the employees. He's like, customers always come first. You notice that between like guys like Jeff Bezos, it's all about the customer first. That's the number one thing. And sometimes product, if you're like Elon Musk and you have yeah, Teslas yeah. And, and whatnot. Um, so, so, so that to me is kind of what I like. I like guys and, and girls who can like really implement a, a really 
rigorous operational rubric and run a company. To me, that's the hard part. It's easy to have be, be the ideas guy and to come up with all these these concepts, but to actually like rubber hits the road, get shit done, hire people, generate revenue like that. To me, is the scale it up, it's scale up an efficient way, like totally. all those things. Yeah, and then and then back to the to the acquiring these businesses because it all it all is aligned, right? Like if if you buy a business you're an investor and you're the owner, but you need operators to run the company. Sometimes that's you. That, that's one thing they didn't really teach you in school is that there's two kind of cl classes of business people. There's owners and investors. So these are like money managers and venture capital and private equity. These are people who allocate money. And then there's management. And this is people mm -hmm. who run the companies. If you go to business school, you're going to be a manager. Yeah. They teach you. It's the Richard Ivey School of Management. I'm They're not teaching sure you how called. to be an entrepreneur yeah. and, or, an, or an investor. But actually, I would say there's probably a middle as well. There's almost like the founder, the owner operator, like the exactly. in between, right? Like yep. there's no one that teaches you that side. You can go, like a lot of guys go to Ivy and go in. A lot, a lot of friends that have gone into investment banking, a lot of friends in management, but they don't teach you. I don't even think you can, to be honest, teach a lot of that, like the creative spark, the idea stuff and marrying how to invest smart, grow the business and scale it as an investment banker would, how to manage as well and combine those those yeah. talents. And I, But I think it's important to kind of, everyone wants to be everything, but it's kind of like find, if you really like doing due diligence, being thoughtful, uh, raising money, like this for like a fund, then you, you want to be an investor and you want to get into um, money management allocation and building portfolios and things like that. If you like, like, the human part of it and like holding people accountable performance reviews running companies then you want to be an operator but i think it's important to kind of pick one side and really try to excel at, at one of the two if you try to do too many things at once it's, it's hard to juggle you Very know true. all those different balls but so you find yourself choosing the investor owner side rather than the management side i, th or? I think for me over my career and i think it, some of the best investors like in venture capital are actually former operators and if you're running a company, you want, if you're, and you're putting a board together, you want an operator on your board who can help guide you as the CEO through like important operational decisions. But for me, I've kind of learned, I started out as CEO worshiping. Like I want to be the CEO. I want to be the man in charge. I want to be the Steve Jobs. Being a CEO sucks. It's like really, you're, you're a, it's not glamorous. You're a slave to multiple groups. You're a slave to your employees, you're a slave to your customers. And it's fun. Slave like to it, the investors as well. Everybody you have to make everybody happy. And and it's and, and it's not it's not a glamorous job. And and to me, I've I've kind of always been the CEO and I've I've always tried to to be the CEO. Um, but as my my career's gone on, I've kind of realized this that might not be kind of my natural born gifts is just pure operations. I like kind of being more on the strategy sides of things. And then Knowing yourself is extremely important because if you enjoy operations, that's what you should do. If you enjoy strategy, then what you have to do is find operators who can execute on your strategy and hold them accountable. But they're, they're kind of two different skill sets. And that's why a board, a, a director of a company on, on the board is going to have a certain set of skills and experience. And then, like we said before, the operators and the management are going to have kind of a different set. But I think, I think for guys like us, like, you know, it's, it's smaller. It's like starting companies. It's not like if you go to, to Ivy and you gonna, you want to go work at a, a massive multinational, that's a whole different skill set than, you know, we just, we want to buy small companies. We want to start companies and scale them up. So that's another kind of dimension here is like, do you want to work at a huge massive co and then be a small 
cog in the in the wheel or whatever yeah, or do you want to like create ponder. something from scratch and there's nothing wrong like it's important to have both both components but um and some people like both they excel at both personally speaking like to your, to your question or to your point there like i prefer to have like start small have my hands involved and stuff and and grow yeah um I will say, like, just even jump back to your point about like knowing yourself, know your role. Like, I grew up in a family business, so uh, we have a commercial cleaning company, like nice. facility services. Um, and I was kind of, I have myself, my sister, my brother. Me and my brother are more involved in the business. We have been from a young age, right out of university. Um, and I thought, like, similar to that, I'm like, I'm gonna do everything. I'm gonna be the best at everything. I'm gonna be VP ops. I'm gonna be director fine, like all these things more ego talking right yeah. and then as you get older you realize you can't be all things and not only that like my, my brother has a good point and i'm very grateful to work with him because we're like yin and yang my skill like we have like the exact opposite skills some overlap but um like strategy kind of overlaps but he's like the finance guy i'm like the ops and, and strategy guy um but like one thing you notice you have to be really honest with yourself because like, your brother's like look george you probably could learn the finance like, cause he does it now, but he's like, you probably could learn it. You'd run it. Okay. But he goes, if I'm five or 10 X better than you and you're like here, even having you involved is going to be a detriment. You're going to pull us down. So he goes, yeah. if you're 10 X better than our next best person at ops, let's say, or, or say whatever it is, focus, focus on, on that. that. Yeah. You can be involved here if you want to learn it, but trying to be the wearer of all hats at all times, it limits the scalability of the company. Absolutely. So like my dad did kind of everything. He started the business, grew it and he could do all those things. And he knows that if I can't bullshit him at all. He knows every part of the business. But he said, like, you got to start, he, my, me and my brother are in ops, so we, knew how the, we started as janitors. We learned how the company is run, hated it, yep. hated it, couldn't stand it. But then I, now I know how our operations is run. And then I moved over to the business development side and kind of learned a little, little bit of everything. But until recently, I didn't realize that. I thought I can control everything from the top, be like this future CEO and do it all. Yep. But you need people who have very refined skills. And you have to know what your skills are and, and kind of focus on those, hone in on those. And now, and now you know the business inside out and you can, you can run it a lot more kind of intuitively because For you've sure. been there and I think that's important as well and it's kind of a balancing act between getting in the weeds something I struggle with sometimes like getting getting into the weeds and learning kind of the, the DNA of whatever project mm -hmm. you're working on but also stepping back and making sure strategically you're going in the right direction and and you have the right people doing the right things like J Jim Collins always says you know who's on the bus and which way is the bus going so you need to find the team and, and then you need to tell the team, you know, what to do. And if either one of those two components is wrong, you're going to have a struggling business yeah, yeah. over to, the long run. To one run. of the points you were saying earlier, uh, George, I think it's important that finding the right people and letting the people who are good at their job do their job. Yeah. Right? Like, again, everyone, when our dads were younger, they always, they did everything because they had to. The company was small. Once you grow to a certain size, you have people in place that... If the owner's not there or if one manager's not there, the company should still run on its own. It's the owner's responsibility to manage your managers and make sure that they're doing their jobs and they're doing it to the, the best of their capabilities. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, no one person can do everything in a big company. Yeah, in a small business, you know, five person company, yeah, you can get your hands involved in everything. But the bigger you get, it's important to let go and let the people who are good at their jobs do their jobs. Like that's at least my dad's biggest problem. My dad wants to manage every department. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dad, there's, there's two people in this company, my dad and my uncle, they own the business. There's two people in this company that can do what you do, you and your brother. There's a million people, not a million, sorry, we're only maybe 200 people, but there's other people that can price jobs. You shouldn't have to price them. There's only two people that can review the bids and decide what markup you want to do. There's only two people that can create those relationships with those high-level execs and those and those partner companies. So do the things that only you and him can do. Yep. You know, 
take the the president of Ellis Dawn for for around the golf or do lunches here yeah. network the, do the those high things. high leverage things yeah let yeah. the things like I see my dad doing takeoffs sometimes and dad if you're listening please stop doing takeoffs <laughs> please dad come on now like I see him sometimes I'm like <laughs> what's a, what's a takeoff so takeoffs like when you start, when you're just starting to price a job you got to do the takeoffs right and and I again I don't know much about estimating John can talk more about this but. You, I know what they look like when someone's doing it because you got the highlighters everywhere. There's yellow, there's blue, there's you're basically just outlining the things that need to be okay. priced. And I'm like, this is the basic entry level things to the job. This is someone, a student, just like just graduated university. That's what they can do. That's yeah. you know, that's a good job for them. And I see my dad doing. I'm like, you are they the most be- expensive person to be doing this. And right to now. your point, um, if you if your business can't run without you. You don't have a business. You yeah. have a job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's literally the d- differentiator. Yeah. Like you have to abstract yourself away yeah. um, to, like you said, focus on the things that move the needle. I struggle with this sometimes too. My, in my current business, it's like my, the best use of my time is very high leverage things. And, yep. and, and by the way, things even that only you can do fundraising, you know, setting the strategy, running the board, you know, big yep. deals that like really move the needle. Like that's, and, and sometimes it's, it's tempting to just like do the little things first and and then you just kind of bang off all these little things and you get caught in the weeds and then you kind of miss the big picture. And I've, I've, um, been on both sides of that in my, yeah. in my career. I think of that saying that you can't see the, what is it, the forest through the trees or something like that. Like yep. you kind of get caught in it to the, just one thing to your point too. Like I, I, I posted a video on my Instagram the other day. Like I came, I pulled up to the office and my dad's outside on his cell phone with like a broom in his hand sweeping. And like, I'm looking at him and like, not to say that he's above cleaning anymore. Like my dad is, is crazy OCD. He cleans all the time, but like, he's wearing a suit. So I'm like, you're going to, I know my dad's cl- clumsy. So he's going to dirty himself. But I was like, listen, like, you know, we have people at the office doing the clean, like not something you do. But the, I think when that point, when you grow something from nothing to something, the old mentality of yeah. back in the day, you know, a business was like more to that point, more like making a job, like it's building a company, but it's more so to you know, support families and all that stuff. Whereas I think the mentality and the shift which you can always speak to more in the last, let's say, decade or two with the dot-com booms, all that stuff, is a shift towards scalability, but also culture as well. And, yeah. and the culture is big because, like, to your point, which we focus on is empowering people to make decisions and also not empowering people to not be scared of making mistakes. I, I res- that fear of failure. Like, you're, you're, you know, family, but, like, I respect them so much because it's way harder than what I do. In the real world, you've got physical products, you've got marginal cost like that's the beauty of tech and that's what really drew me to it is it's you have infinite leverage you can sell a product infinitely amount of times it's software it replicates itself and and people who can build like brick and mortar businesses and scale them out i think it's like it's kind of like hardware versus software it's just like yeah. way harder and i, I have a lot of respect <laughs> literally for people. but for yeah. me you know i'm, I'm kind of like trying to strategically and tactically say you know where where can i you know, get the most impact. And for me, that's, that's in the, the online world with, with tech and software and things well, like this. I was just going to ask, so then what does that look like for you now? Like, I know there's one thing I saw in your bio, which I want to ask, what does a 10 year crypto noob uh, <laughs> do? Like, what, how, is that the space that you're in when you say now you're focused more on that? Are you still on the investment side or like also define a 10 year crypto? Noob? Yeah, I know. I've been meaning to change that. For a while. <laughs> I like it. I, I personally <laughs> I like it. No. Um, so kind of my, the trajectory kind of went from God, dove into the the Silicon Valley world. I lived there for a bit and, and kind of learned not in the most efficient way. So but this is after China, after, after China came really dove in. And I said, this is what I want to do. Like win, lose or draw. I said, I think I made a self block to myself saying I'm good with 
doing this and forever. Like I, I, even if I fail, like I'm fine with failing and I just, I want to keep sticking, sticking to this, to this world of, of tech in Silicon Valley. And then, um, so, so I went from that, I, I had a, I actually had a startup that got acquired called polymath labs. And, uh, I think, weren't you guys downtown Toronto? Yeah. This is kind of a crazy story, but, uh, let's hear it. So this is, so this is after China kind of during I was doing these private equity investments, I had another startup called Polymath Labs. And I I, I had a shell company named that, so I just used it. And I, uh, it was actually really interesting. I I like doing new, the new shiny object thing. So crypto, this this was in VR. So this was virtual reality. And and what, what I did is I tried on what was called the Oculus Rift DK1. It was the first developer kit of the Oculus Rift. I just tried it on at like a conference or something. And I was like, holy shit, this is really cool. <laughs> There's like a roller coaster going around. I'm like, I have to stop what I'm doing and, and try something. So I uh, um, I was kind of thinking and I called my buddy in real estate. You, you guys know Tridel, the builders. Yeah, yeah. His name's Al- Alessandro. He's he's part of the, the family that started oh, Tridel. Delhi. Yeah, man, I played hockey with yeah, him. Yeah, legend, a, yeah. a great kid. Uh, he and went to uh, Crescent. He went to Crescent. Yeah, I think. yeah. I yeah. played hockey with him back in. Oh my gosh, probably like 2006. Yeah, be- complete yeah, beauty. beauty. So, beauty. so uh, I called him. I'm like, hey, I just tried this thing on. Uh, you know, is there something like it was a roller coaster game? But I see like a more commercial use for like real estate. And I'm not a real estate guy, but I'm like, you know, what if we could like build virtual tours of pre-construction condos, <clears throat> and we could have some of your sales reps like use it as a tool to like, you know, have future tenants walk through the or owners walk through the unit before it's built and like kind of get a more immersive experience for it that was the big idea wow uh it was a, it was a bit early because it was still like you got dizzy doing it and we learned when we were testing it out like little things like women didn't want to get their hair messy when you put the the thing on yeah. it was still kind of early but um uh, so, so what I did, I, I went on LinkedIn. I looked for some, um, for, for VR, you need video game developer skills. So like 3D modeling, shading, um, things like this. That's how you build these environments. So I went on LinkedIn and I found some guys um, who did that. And, and we, we formed a little team and a little company and, and we built a demo. And, we, uh, and, and, and you could actually go in and, and there was a, a unit at 10 York, which is the, a Tridel building yeah. that we virtualized. And you could go in and customize the interior and have that cue the developer and have it like built to your standards as you went in. And, and I still have the demo and, and we showed uh, Delhi and all those guys and, and, and got some feedback. And uh, fast forward to the end, I, I was raising money for it and someone made an offer to acquire the whole thing and they wanted to take it public in Canada. Um, and, and I said, sure, let's, let's negotiate. So we go down to the negotiation table and it was this guy named uh, Tom Griffiths. So he's like a kind of an old school private equity guy. And uh, the, the term sheet or the, the APA, the asset purchase agreement was done. I had my buddy, he was a, a hockey buddy from my early days. He was just a new lawyer, uh, do it. And uh, at the last second he stands up and he's like, son deals off. We're not doing this. Um, we're not doing business with, with uh, someone like you. And I was like, no, the deal's not off. We have this, the LOI sign. What are you talking about? He said, we refuse to do business with someone who names their company Polymeth Labs. I swear to you, I have, I have this framed in my office. My hockey playing buddy, new lawyer, made a typo on the articles of incorporation 
and wrote an E instead of an A, and it was Polymeth Labs, <laughs> the name of the company. I swear. And uh, it took me, I, I, we eventually salvaged it, and we laugh about it now, but it was like this close for the deal for falling apart. So that this was guy's like- selling crack. He's trying to sell us a VR company. <laughs> So, big mon money laundering scheme. <laughs> so, so that, so that the deal went through. They, they vended into another. Company. Wait, what went through your head when you stood up? Is like this deal's not going through. Were you like, I was? Did mad. you look at your lawyer, buddy, and be like, how the hell did you screw that up? Like, <laughs> he's like, new lawyer, like. And he told me he's like, you have to promise never to tell the story. I said, you have my word. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? What's his name? No, 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 no. no that part I won't say. But, uh, he's, he's, he's a fantastic, fantastic lawyer now, but. Uh, so, so that kind of dovetailed that, that was cool. That was a kind of I, like my first kind of soup to nuts exit that, that, that I did and got through the whole process. It wasn't like a ridiculous amount of money, but it was a nice, a nice, uh, a nice exit. And, um, and it was cash. It was a nice cash deal. So that was cool. Heck yeah. And then, um, and that's actually people say moving into what I do now, like that's again, I have two stories for the name of polymath, my current company. One is like polymath. It means you're good at a lot of things. Renaissance man. But the real answer is I was too cheap to go incorporate a new company. And part of the agreement is I got to keep the name polymath for a future business. So that kind of ended yeah, over. Man, to save the a new grand. Deal. Okay. Cause you know, saved, saved a grand. And, um, and yeah, that, that's kind of what I do now. And, and that, again, the theme of kind of pivoting and kind of evolving from one thing to the next, um, the, f the fund I was telling you about where we were investing in these online businesses, um, it was called Digital Assets International and, and another one was called Wired. And we woke up one morning and we said, hey, we, we've got all this EBITDA, you know, it was, it was growing like crazy. And we said, what if we could tokenize the fund? And what if we could be the world's first um, tokenized fund or one of the first tokenized funds and we could be a, a crypto coin that pays a dividend. And at the time that was like a really novel idea. And, and that, that, that's how kind of my current business started is we were just saying, we had an idea and said, Hey, we have this great fund. What if we could tokenize the fund on the blockchain? And what would that allow us to do? We didn't even really know. It was just by, more like by tokenizing, you mean like do a coin offering and like, but how, can you explain that for us? Cause I mean, I know very, very little about totally. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try to um, not use too much jargon, but it's <laughs> taking the, the units of ownership in an asset. So in this case, in this case, it's a fund. So LP shares in a fund. So that's like the ownership of the fund, <laughs> just like shares in a public company. This is how funds are, are um, divi uh, divided up. And we're gonna token it. So instead of a share certificate that lives in a filing cabinet on a piece of paper, like from the 1900s, now it's a token that lives on a blockchain. And, and what can you do with that? You can have like this concept of, you know, liquidity where you can actually have, you know, cross jurisdictional trading of that coin on exchanges, which brings more liquidity. You can raise more money. It's more efficient. Um, there, there's lots of like cool things you can do with a, a token that lives on a blockchain backed by a real asset. Like, so we're talking about like Bitcoin, Ethereum. Yep. I, I was very fortunate to be early into that sector as well. And that's kind of what happened next after I sold the, the VR company. And, um, and that was the next thing that merged. It said, hey, we have this fund and we have this new passion I have in crypto. This is like um, 2015, 2016. And so this is before it blew up. Before it blew up. It was 2018 yeah. when before it blew up. took off. And I was, I was like really kind of nerding out in that space. And very early, like in 2012, I bought my first Bitcoin. Well, you paid off big time. Yeah, this was a... <laughs> you probably bought it for what? 
few hundred bucks 20 bucks on ebay <laughs> 20 bucks on ebay i still have the receipt and that was like I'll, n- I'll never forget that they used to sell bitcoin at um just south of spadina, King and spadina. King. yeah that little yeah. Bitcoin townhouse. central yeah yep. i remember walking by my brother was telling me about it. i'm like i have no idea what this is i know nothing about it. fast forward a couple of years later i paid like I, I didn't buy a full Bitcoin, but I, I ended up buying it at like 18K or something. Ridiculous. <laughs> It'll be. It's I, bought, I bought back in at like seven, so I'm okay now. Attaboy. Yeah, I'm no. Bought, I bought back in at seven. So I'm, I'm actually Mark. meeting after this. I'm meeting the guy who founded that decentral oh, really? place. Yeah, Anthony. He's uh, he's he's quite a character. I'm going to see him oh, after small this. Small world. Yeah. So. Um, I probably should have had better time. ads. I would have bought that day. When I, I know, dude. Out. I know. Like a little, you know what's, I, sorry. No, I was just saying. It was just like a little sign. Didn't make it look flashy. Next well, thing you know, it was you gotta remember too. He didn't make it look flashy because it wasn't flashy then too. Like it kind of was, but it wasn't. And I told this story. We were talking about this like last night. In the first time I heard about Ethereum was probably like I don't know five, six, seven years ago. The, the guy who founded Ethereum is a Russian kid, right? Yep. He was on the cover of Forbes magazine. Yep. I was flying somewhere. I was going to like Europe in the summer, and I see Forbes there, and I see this guy, and he was announced that he's worth two hundred million dollars at this point. I had no I'm like, what the hell is Ethereum? Like, what is this? Yep. Picked it up, started reading about it, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Talked about Bitcoin, talked about Ethereum, and explained blockchain again enough that I can understand a little bit. I don't know nearly enough. I understand the concept. Yeah. Um. And then like the, the, the craze started happening. I'll be honest, I sat on the sidelines. I'm like, if I don't understand something enough, I can't put my money into it. I can't, like I like tangible and stuff. So I'm like, I think this is a little too crazy. Yeah. I made this point, like when I see people posting on their Instagram story, hey, can someone tell me about crypto? I want to invest some money. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a red flag here. Me and myself, I'm a little more invest in things I don't understand. That's just kind of my, <laughs> yeah, well, which good. is a lot, like, which is a lot of things. And the, but the biggest thing too, I, I, said, I was talking about this because recently, um, I'm sure I don't need to tell you this cash app and Jack Dorsey went and put a big investment a big play into it yep. which I like reading that the people think that now they've kind of officially set a floor that they think for crypto you can probably speak more to this for, for Bitcoin but I uh, my theory just as someone who just likes to watch how people yep. kind of act, react and act to certain market trends is that like like anything in life the early adopters come a bubble bursts and you know people lose some money people who stuck with it understand the concepts of it and the fundamentals ride it out or kind of come back in. And I know that lately you've kind of been hearing people creeping back in. And yeah, it's a one. really good insight. That, and, now, and now it's kind of now that the cash app has almost legitimized it because from before, one of the other reasons I never bought is you'd have to get a wallet or something and invest and yep. you could lose it and get hacked. I think cash app being a legitimate platform backed by a billionaire founder of two big startups yep. and Square, yep. it kind of gives us some more legs to stand on. So anyways, those are just my kind of thoughts on it as an outsider. No, it's a really good insight. It's actually the best analogy of crypto and, and just to like back up on and give kind of a, a macro view is the internet. So the internet in 1980, 1990 was very technical, was very hard to use. There was no user interfaces yet. It was really clunky. It didn't like work fully. And you had the dot-com bubble because people are like, holy shit, this could be the next big thing. And then all the speculators rushed, it, rushed into it. And then you had the huge dot-com bust, the biggest market bust in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but guess what? the NASDAQ is like 3x the height of, of what it was back then now or something crazy. Yeah. And, and just like you said, you had that kind of S-curve, the early adopters and the hype cycle and then the crash. And then what happened in that crash? Apple was founded. Google. Amazon was founded. Google was founded. All these companies just ignored the noise, the speculators, the hype, and they, they were just building. The, yeah. the, the pictures of Jeff Bezos and his garage, garage building yeah. it. No hype, no, no like... <laughs> Nothing flashy, flashy like... It- 
building company and crypto is going through the literally the exact same thing we had the huge run-ups it's, it's kind of compressed because crypto is just crazier so there's like well they also but the, the rate of technological advancement now you it went from like the, if you actually graphed it it's like like this and then 90s kind of hit and it starts going up and now it's going up like it's hitting that inflection point where just everything's climbing exponentially so crypto will probably be a yeah. condensed crash to rise again if it does exactly right? exactly and with, with just the last point is kind of on the internet analogy is very important because now crypto is becoming more usable. It's becoming more mainstream. We have apps like Coinbase where it's indistinguishable from your regular brokerage account. And the whole point of it is you need to abstract away the fact that you're using crypto. So the average person doesn't need to know how crypto works. Just like the average person doesn't know how the internet works. They don't know what TCP IP is. They don't know how the, the stack works with hosting and servers and things like this. You don't need to know that. The, the end user just cares about what they're trying to do and what problems they're trying to solve. And so the value of it as a, as a currency, like just to that point to extend upon it, I'm sure, not, not me the average person, but I'm sure a lot of people don't understand how regular fiat currencies work, right? Like it's like, yep. I mean, until like high school, university, you don't understand, even I don't understand all the fundamentals of how you can print and inflate dollars and all that yep. stuff. And Some people don't understand how basic credit credit works. Very true. Yeah. Like, so I guess if you're looking at, so I guess what you're trying to say is like, if you look at it from a perspective of like a currency, more as using the term crypto and trying to understand all the fundamentals and the behind the scenes, you look at it more as a currency uh, yeah. or from an investment perspective, are you talking about? Like, I just mean like the technology itself. Okay. Like the coins are kind of the speculative thing that come and go. I think they, they are important as well. The coins power the network. They have to be designed very well. But remember, Bitcoin was a white paper. It was released anonymously. And it was open source. Out, have they ever figured out, like, still no... That no clue. Not even no clue. There's been some fraudsters claiming to be the guy. The Japan, is a guy like a Jap... What's it, the name Satoshi of Satoshi Nakamoto. Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, and he's it. like the cult kind of leader. No, People don't want to find out who he is. That would, like, take away from, from the mystique of it. Wait, sorry. Say this again. There's, like, a, you can probably explain an anonymous it Japanese guy that apparently well, created Bitcoin? Well, the alias that it was created as, that it was founded, I guess, is a name. You, I'll let you explain. Sorry, but before you tell us, I want the first time I ever heard of Bitcoin... Was, I watched a documentary on Vice. This is probably 2013 or 2014 on Silk Road. Mm-hmm. It was like that random oh, the online, yeah, the online store where you buy basically the dark web anything. Bish. Yeah, like it's basically I think drugs. You're doing and, a school project, were you? No, I was, I was literally watching. It was a Vice documentary. A school. Yeah, I was watching a Vice documentary, and that's like how I came up with Bitcoin. They're like, yeah, you got to pay online with with cryptocurrency. I had no idea what it was, and they said Bitcoin. Yeah. And then yeah. you hear the stories about people that paid for Domino's pizza with Bitcoin five years ago. Yeah, worth like, like 20 mil for the yeah. pizza now. And um, but Sorry, get crazy. back to this Shomatomo guy. Toshi <laughs> Nakamoto. So, Nakamoto. Bitcoin, the white, so a white paper is like the technical spec that an anonymous person, like he put his name on, but like not any identity to it, uh, released in 2008. So, the inter- so that's when Bitcoin started? That's when Bitcoin started okay. that was that was the the genesis of of bitcoin and uh it's it's like a movie like no one there was like this anonymous guy and then he passed it on to like a, a guy named gavin andreessen and then he kind of took it from there and it kept kind of snowballing is gavin andreessen related to mark andreessen uh, no no okay no no yeah good good question yeah but um so the point is like it was released very low fanfare in the chat forums and things like this. And it was just like a proposal for a new currency. And that's, it was called a new peer to peer currency. It was immutable, meaning you can't prevent a transaction. So like on credit cards, you know, the company can do chargebacks or whatever, and they, they can reverse transactions. Bitcoin is immutable. And hmm. be, because it's immutable, it can also be decentralized. So that means, 
Um, there's no central, that, you'll see that word a lot, decentralization. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people get excited about is like our current financial system is centralized and you have all these like middlemen and rent seekers that take transaction fees and kind of screw the little guy in a lot of way. And not the and, banks? And the banks. Yeah. And, well, anybody and, who can have an inf impact or influence on, on the, the value of the dollar, where it goes, how many hands are in like it. Theory, like the I rent guess in, seekers. Yeah, okay. And, and, and Bitcoin came out and, and they said, it, 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 there's two things that it came out with. It came out with the blockchain you guys have heard of, and it came out with Bitcoin, which is the co the token that lives on top of the blockchain. So it's kind of two things, and it's important to like separate those two things because all these new coins, like Ethereum, are based on the original white paper called the Bitcoin blockchain. And that's without Bitcoin, there's no Ethereum. And that's what started it all. And now because it's open source, this is a concept in software, it's free. Anyone can use it. And, and a lot of people don't can mine it, right? Anyone can mine it. And a lot of people don't know this, but most of the internet today is powered by open source software. That's it's not owned and controlled by one company. Um, Isn't the difference between Linux and Microsoft? Yes. Linux was the open source. Is this, the, I don't know. I don't know if, but I'm just asking because I remember it, that's that a good example. That's a great example. Linux is, is an open source foundation and Microsoft Windows is is a for-profit center. Linux is the opposite of like, so you have Windows on your computer? Yeah. Linux is the open source version. So Microsoft basically controls Microsoft. So if I go to Microsoft and open it up and Microsoft Word opens up, yeah, like yeah, Microsoft yeah. makes all that. Linux is like the developer community and tech, like and, and engineers oh. can contribute to it, right? Is and Linux big? Yeah, it's, it's big. It, it powers a lot of things underneath, um, again, quietly underneath, like, yeah. like Android. Android is open source. Mm -hmm. There's iOS and there's Android. So it, Linux is like the uh, the Android. Exactly. Like it's, and iOS is like this kind of like big this, corporate company. Uh, iOS, is, iOS and Windows are like the sexy marketing. Let's put a bow on it, package it and say we're the brand. This is yep. this. People like to buy brands. Whereas Linux is like, oh, I can have like an Android phone or I can have this stainless steel iPhone. It's cool. Walmart versus Giant market. Tiger kind of thing. And, and I think yeah. to, to, we'll come back to crypto, but like the, the cool thing about software and open source and everything is you can do things so fast and you can scale so quickly. And like, if you want to go create a company today, it's, it's all time record cheap to do it. There's so many pre-existing things out there that you can piggyback off of that can save you time and money. So for example, I had to, I remember early in my career, I had to fire a marketing person because she was, she, I needed her to create a web page, and she was like building it from scratch. Like she was doing the hard, I'm like, it's not 1994. Like there's so many free open source tools, plugins, libraries of websites that are beautifully designed that just you plug and play the text you want. It's responsive. Like use your head. Like we don't need to do things the hard way now. And with software, like whether it's open source code, like hardcore backend Linux stuff that none of us understand, but it, it's, it's very impactful. Like that's there for the taking like but not just that like there's so many things now that are that are free and available on the internet because of this movement of open source because of this concept of of giving things away for free and and i think that's really exciting and so that's, that's like wordpress wordpress is a great example that's okay. that is open source that's another uh, that we'll powers building like, a website that powers WordPress, like 80 percent not of the very internet. good at it but well, there's a lot of stuff even the stuff that that, that our team is doing like we're, we're working on something behind the scenes kind of like in, in the app space and the, the tech space and and a lot of stuff you can do you can yep. rip a lot of stuff like whether it's ui stuff whether it's stuff mobile, whether it's yesterday. buttons yeah, yeah it can literally be taken as an entrepreneur you're like you're the producer of the movie or like the puzzle master you're putting the pieces together so mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to like do anything from scratch really yeah you, you can 
your payment processor is Stripe. It's already there. You just hook that in. You use a template from you use a template from Theme Forest, which costs nine dollars, and now you have a front end. And you have like the shopping cart is done, or you go to somewhere like Shopify and you pay like eighty bucks a month, and now yeah. everything is there for you. So so now as an entrepreneur, it's just a matter of of finding a product to sell. It's called product, product market, market fit. fit yeah. Finding a product in a market, and that's your job as as an, as an entrepreneur is getting to that sync yeah. up as fast as Cause, possible because why reinvent the wheel right like one of the biggest things when it comes to stuff like when it's a website whether it's a pro like all this stuff on in that space a lot of it comes down to the ux the ui is important too but the ux is like is behavioral right like if i let's use dating apps for example like they're they just that That's swipe sc school project as well yeah exactly live <laughs> spent a lot of time reading off but like those dating apps right they created they created the function of swiping like it's now uses a term swipe left swipe right whatever or up whatever it is but <laughs> If you're creating a dating app, no, but if you think about it, they all kind of look the same. They use the same thing. Like, why would you reinvent the wheel and create a new behavior pattern, right? A lot of these things you want is like, again, social media. It's that infinite scroll. It's that passing time. Like, you're going to go and reinvent the wheel. Like, you yeah. already have people who have a behavior to it. You can kind of, if you have a better product or you can find that product market fit yeah. and you kind of leverage that stuff that's already been done, you're working smart, you're scale, you're getting to market quicker and you're kind of... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, not quantify, uh, like validate your idea. Yeah. Get that product market fit, and yeah, then you can iterate from there. Experiments right? and testing and all these exactly. things. But but back to back to crypto. So that 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 this is my my like purpose is I just am so from as soon as I got into it and in the early days when we were all just learning about it and we were going to conferences in like 20 gosh. Gonna age yourself here. 14, 20. Oh, it was no. just like we. Were, it was just like. It was just such a pure um, passion of, of the crypto community in the early days. And that, like, honestly, it sounds like cheesy, but it was really looking back, it was, it was like, I get nostalgic because people were there for the right reasons. There was no money to be made yet. It was just like an idea, a concept of, of like decentralization and, and freedom and technology and merging all these things together. And, and I just got completely immersed in this world. And, and uh, it was a matter of, action like me go, going to these things but also luck because guess what emerged in our backyard in ethereum in, in toronto ethereum and vitalik buterin sorry ethereum's that's that's his name vitalik buterin I was trying it to was think created of it. in toronto yeah in that building you almost bought a bitcoin at that was the the station of ethereum wow. in the early days and not, not a lot of people know this what's ethereum so i can ask what's ethereum trade moving at right now like is it it's like three, four hundred bucks somewhere in there, and, yeah. and the, the, it's the second biggest coin. No, because Bitcoin Cash. Is no, it's no? Ethereum's number two. Yeah. Ethereum's number two. But not a lot of people know this. This is a crazy stat. At its peak, Ethereum created more millionaires than any other company in the history of the world. Over ten thousand. What? <laughs> yeah, and a lot of that was in Toronto. And you talk about Silicon Valley. There's a crypto Silicon Valley right here in Toronto because of that event. You know, in Silicon Valley, like a, a a founder starts a company, it sells for this crazy amount of money, and then it gets, now this founder has all this money, what does he do? He reinvests it into the yeah. next startup and the, it gets recycled back into the community. That happened here in Toronto. And we had, including my company, Polymath, like we were the benefactors of kind of the post Ethereum mafia of like, I was really close to the project from the early days and you know was early reading the white paper and getting excited about it and helping out and uh, and then it just took off and it was like a really exciting and, and not just the price took off and crashed and came up, up again, but Ethereum is now the most important piece of infrastructure in the entire crypto space. 
this next wave you'll be hearing a lot in the coming months and years about DeFi, decentralized finance. And this is all powered by Ethereum. So like all of the promise and the hype, just like in the dot-com bubble of uh, everyone's like, oh, the internet's gonna be huge, pump, 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 and then dump. Well, they were right. They were just early, you know, and now look at the internet, right? The, the top, out of the top 100 companies in the world now, that's something like a crazy amount is tech companies now. The ones that weather the first out of the storm. Top, I think the top five are all tech companies. Like well, Amazon, yeah, it's, Google, it's like it's all- Fang, like, whatever. It's all the top Facebook, five. Facebook, Amazon, Apple. Um, Google. Netflix. Google, Netflix's not the biggest, but they compare it. They add it yep. in there now. Man, I and those been... ones, those ones came out of that dot combo. They weathered the storm. They like back then Google was search. You didn't realize Google was gonna be the number one ad revenue company in, yep. in the world, right? Facebook was a place well, they kind of came later, right? But um Apple back then was not what it is today. Like they had the, the desktops and now they're a whole ecosystem. Yeah. Like everything we do is powered more or less. So I I could have been a tech millionaire if I just walked into that place that day. <laughs> You Gosh. have no one to blame but yourself. That's it. <laughs> Kicking myself in the teeth right now. All I had to do is walk in. I saw it. If like, uh, it cool. if it makes you feel any better, I'll, I'll get, get Call, share. offline. I, I'll show you some how much money I lost on the way down. <laughs> make you feel a little. I don't, better. I don't feel as bad. I don't listen. If bad. you uh, if you look, if you bought Google back then and hung on to oh. it this whole time, back then it was trading at maybe a couple bucks, and now yeah. it's up to a couple, couple thousand. thousand. So I mean, man, you buy some Ethereum now, wait about 10, 15 years, and you'll be, uh, oh, you'll I've be laughing. I've seen on all my crypto. I, I sold enough. Did you not? Yeah. So I sold enough to break even. So I've only got maybe three, 400 bucks left in my, uh, in my Coinbase account because I probably spent like a grand. Coinbase on, is a good, is a good. Do you know what, for so. like the, an, an everyday user like me, I don't no, understand. No, I, I use Coinbase. I, yeah, I've so been, I bought coin. I, I bought about probably a thousand bucks worth when this whole bubble started. I don't know, maybe two years ago now. And I bought in at maybe 20K. I bought maybe like a thousand bucks worth of a bunch of different coins. And it went up to 24, 25 Bitcoin at least. And I was like, okay, I'm doing all right. And then it dropped to like 10. I'm like, okay, I'm already in. I'm going to might as well just keep it. I bought on my credit card too. So technically, I, I would, you know, look, right this, this is like, I tell you, this is what I advise people. Yeah, give it's it. Hit us like, with some knowledge here. Just like, it's a long-term thing. Yeah. And it's not like the prices, it's, I get sucked into like checking coin market cap and looking at the price yeah, movement. Market, yeah. But it's so detached from reality in a lot of ways and it's so meaningless in terms of what's actually happening. Like try to just, I tell people just average in, like don't do the crazy coins, like do Bitcoin, maybe Ethereum if you're feeling really frisky. And just like, learn about like use it like what's the point of this like transacting what can you do on ethereum and it's like think about it this way the, the people who did the best with ethereum were the people who kind of had long-term views on it and they said i'm just holding it i'm just like i remember i bought um one bitcoin when ethereum launched you could get 2000 ethereum and one bit the one bitcoin i bought for 20 bucks you could get 2000 ethereum and at, at the height of the market it was that was worth two mil but I never sold it. I was like that. I don't want to ever touch that. That's just like, I have a long-term thesis here and, and moving into the new phase of crypto now, and I'm not going to get too technical, but the people I think who are going to do the best are the ones who kind of understand the, the basics of it and have a long-term view on it. And then you can, you not get like buying and selling and trading and stuff like that. It's just, and, and even with stocks, I tell people all the time, like no that. one makes money trading stocks. Period. Trading is one of the, one of the biggest, like, it's a scam. Uh, it's a scam out there. Yeah. People f delete Robinhood, get wealth front and set. Or if you're in Canada, get wealth simple. Like yeah. that is, that is like a hundred X better way to, to grow wealth over the long term. And this is just like facts. It's not like really debatable. Yeah, yeah. So whether it's crypto, whether it's stocks, it's like just 
don't day trade, have a long-term outlook, average in over time, like take a bit of, a bit of your salary going. I, I love like my, one of my favorite companies is Wellsimple. It's a Canadian company yeah. that you give it, it's not day trading. You, it does all the work for you. It's on autopilot. I'm lazy. It diversifies for you. It does, um, uh, ha tax loss harvesting, which is like this complicated thing to save you taxes. It does, um, you can log in and see at any time. You don't have to go and talk to like a, a guy in a suit at a broker at a bank or something like that. Like we don't, we're millennials. We don't want to do that. We just want it all to be online. We don't want to talk to people. We don't want to get sold products. I remember that we don't understand when I sold my first company, I was like, okay, what I'm going to go invest it now. And so I went to TD and I went to a guy, uh, Oh, the, the high net worth broker there. Like this is where all the rich people go to give their money. So I went in and gave him a bunch of money. And like two years later, I'm like, Making you one and a half percent or something. Yeah, and I was anyway. like, and I'm looking at it. It was like, I actually looked at the documents, and it's like I was getting charged two point nine percent MER fee on my money, and I was like, like three percent going to put, go in some mutual fund, and I'm like, this is so dumb. Like it's like, and I said I have to get out, and then they said, oh no, you're not allowed to get out. There's a DCF bro breaking fee if you want to leave this fund, and I'm like, all right, this I don't care. I'm paying the fee. Get me out of here. Uh, the, the new era now is like ETFs, it's low fees, it's like using robo-advisors to do it, whether that's yeah. traditional stocks or crypto, like that's where the world is going. That's where like like young people like us, that's how to build wealth over the long term, yeah. in, in my opinion. One thing that, I, and I'm not giving this advice to any, by any means, no one take trading advice or buying stock advice from me at all, but one thing, oh, the one school of thought that I've always followed to your point is like do things for the long game, but also like I just buy stuff, number one that I understand always, because I'll fucking, you know, like the first stock I ever bought was Nike. I would, I've said this before, Nike, everything I wear uh, besides work clothes and all that is, is Nike. I like the brand, I think it's strong and I think it's cool. I like buying it so I'm gonna use it so I'm gonna provide back to it. Yep. And just from there, everything I've bought in my life is stuff that I either enjoy using, I think is is good, has some future value and that's what I do. And then I, I'm more in tune with it. Like if I open a news app, I'm, I know that I'm interested in reading about sports which relates to Nike and it kind of translates. I mean, I bought, Shake Shack, which, did, which got hit pretty bad. But like, <laughs> I like burgers. I love Shake Shack. So I, I, you know, I wouldn't. But I just think like, I'm not a genius. Again, this is not advice for anyone. Don't buy what I buy. But that was my approach. Buy things in the long term. I buy it. I put my money in and I let it sit there. I actually, I did the same thing. I took my money away from my, from my bank recently because it was in mutual funds that I was like, I would look at my thing at the end of the year and I'm like 1.2%. I was like, I could, if I just threw darts and, and just guessed 10 stocks, pick the 10 best tech stocks. Probably going to average out just even the worst case scenario slightly more. Literally, yeah, so, and, yeah. and exactly. And the the facts, like this is just the data. It's that nine out of ten professional hedge fund managers don't beat the S and P five hundred index. Yeah, these are professional. Yeah, say my John. Our brothers are very smart. Yeah, John Thomas is very smart. Like just invest in these ones. Boom! Like it's guaranteed over five years to make five. Tells the S and P ETF. Yeah, that's it. And Vanguard V O O whatever. Like John, I understand. What do I do with my money? He's like, just here it is. I'm like, okay, thanks. You just do it for me. Here's all my passwords. Yeah, Vanguard. That's like, and then you don't have to think about it. You don't have to be stressed about it. You just forget about it, and you're going to do way better than even the professional traders like the whole active money management is dying i'm fully fledged believing you don't need humans picking stocks for a fee doing worse than just buying the s p 500 warren buffett had a bet with um yeah someone wasn't was it? uh no it wasn't was it, was it paul something one of the 
I it was a big broker, and he bet him like, if you can beat the S and P five hundred or something, I'll, I'll pay you like or a, like a if, billion. If anyone can beat the S and P five hundred, not it. just that one guy, anyone, he'll and, give and him a billion dollars or something over over a decade. Yeah, and, and net of fees, and then just everyone got demolished yeah. by it at the, at the end of the day. So it's, it's and he's probably the best investor. Him, well, some say Charlie Munger, but he's the best investor in the last. Whatever, and he just and talks about compound interest. And, 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 and this is a crazy thing. He's an active manager, mm-hmm. so he's he's like saying even he, I can't beat the market. He's saying I think I think he actually does. Like yeah. Berkshire, but in the last few years, it's been. A but little they're popular. they're kind of like a public thing. Berkshire yeah, yeah. is public, and they do all these these. Uh, you know, they there's there's active management of like picking stocks bad, but then there's like. Warren Buffett gets in snowflake. Buys gets in snowflake at discount. Like that's active. But he also good. buys. He gets on the board. Like the companies he buys, he's not buying a couple thousand stocks. He's put like he, I think he bought Snowflake and Palantir. Yeah. Like he put a billion or close to a billion into each one, right? Yeah. yeah no, I'm I'm talking about like stock pickers. Yes. But that but but there's active money managers that create tons of value. Like they're called um, activist investors a lot. Like guys like Bill Ackman and these guys. Shame, these yeah. guys go. I, I love this. This is what I'd be doing if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> you go in and you buy a, a, a bunch of stock in a public company to have like a meaningful, but not a controlling stake because it's too expensive to do that. So you own like 10%. That's what these guys do. And then they, they start writing public letters to the shareholders publicly, like on CNBC saying, these management are flying private jets. They're not, they don't have the best shareholders interests in mind. We recommend that we replace current management with new management that we select that are going to care about the shareholders more. And now they have what's called a proxy battle and they have, and that's what the activist investor is trying to do is convince the other shareholders via proxy voting to change the board, to hire overhaul new, new CEOs. And, and that's what happens a lot. You have bloated companies that aren't, shareholder focused and that that's part of the natural selection is of the system of capitalism is saying hey let's let's go and get rid of these people who aren't don't have shareholders in mind and let's go put in new people i I think that's really cool and those guys can make crazy amounts of money because they do they do a lot of like levered buyouts where they like borrow crazy amounts of money and buy these companies companies and 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 there's a significant amount of billionaires who have got there by by doing that and i think it's it's a great function of of uh you know, Wall Street, it's like making things more efficient and, and finding new owners. And I think, yeah. I think that's, that's have you Have you watched Succession? No, a bunch of people said that I should watch <laughs> it. literally like, just put, watch Succession. I marathoned yeah. it in like two days early COVID. I'm it's, down, I'm down. I need a new it's show. It's really good. And the new season's I think coming out soon. I've, I've, after watching Trailer Park Boys a third time <laughs> in a row, like I think it's time. I think it's, it's time to change it up, man. <laughs> time to mix it up a little bit. Get some little more stimulating. Honestly, yeah, it's real, like, as you're talking, I'm just thinking like I, I was a real big cynic with crypto, but then I also to your point of the dot com, how it came and went. Like I, I I'm gonna I'll say this. I'm not psychic by any means, and I don't not professing to know this stuff, but I But I I'm not, this, not psychic. But I'm not not psychic. <laughs> I told Rick this the other day. Literally at the beginning of this week, I just for some reason I thought about crypto. I had came to my head and I was like, I literally thought about similar to uh, just booms and busts in the world. Yeah. I think I was maybe listening to Peter, I think it was Peter Thiel's zero to one or something, but yeah. I was listening to something about how booms and busts happened. The early adopters, a point we had earlier. And I was like, man, I was kind of like that with crypto. Like it came, it rose really fast. And like lately I've been seeing little tidbits in the news, people talking about this and this. And this is like Monday or earlier this week. And I was like, oh, man, maybe it's going to come around. And I opened my phone a couple days ago and I see Jack Dorsey buy 10 million worth of crypto. And I was like, nah, I was psychic. <laughs> it's not to me. Yeah. To me, the moment for that for me was when, and I remember this in the early days of Ethereum because I was sitting there 
I forget if Vitalik was on the phone or Anthony, but Naval in 2014 reached out to these Ethereum guys out of Toronto to, to learn more. And I'm like, okay, this guy doesn't fuck around like this. Yeah. This, this is, is something. He, the, and, and so that was back then. But now it's like the smartest guys. Like I respect certain um, money managers like more than anyone. Like Andreessen Horowitz, like the, the, the top of the food chain guys yeah, yeah. and girls there. And they have doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on crypto really as funds they've raised 500 million dollar funds just to invest in like in crazy crypto, crypto startups projects. or buying like buy, spending startups. investing in coins crypto buying startups, startups. And, the, and the thesis there is they think just to go one layer deeper with the internet again it's about it's about cycles and kind of the stack of of the technology what i mean by that is when you were in 1980 the way to make money in 90 1990 the way to make money on the internet was investing in infrastructure companies like Cisco, IBM, people who were building Running cables the, the ground. plumbing yeah, yeah. because yes, the plumbing. no one made money on applications yet because the, the, the infrastructure wasn't there to support it. Netflix couldn't exist until you had ban, uh, You had to fiber. the critical mass and have yeah, a, yeah. Have a commu- like and, a mass and, acceptance of this, of this so, technology. So it, the technology, it, you, you, it's like building a house. So the tangible guy, you, need, you can't put the furniture in until you've built the foundation, until you put the scaffolding up. And it's the same in tech. That's why they, they're called software engineers. You're actually engineering um, a, a, a product just like you're, you're engineering a house or whatever. And so... So as an investor, you're saying, where should I invest in now? In 1980 and 1990, it was infrastructure for the internet. In 2000 and 2010, what, what's the best place to invest now? Taps. Yeah. Google, Uber, Facebook, these are billion, all billion dollar companies. They're applications on top of the infrastructure that was already built. Okay, so you with me? And then when you go to crypto, it's the exact same dynamic. We're in the infrastructure phase. There's no one making money on apps, crypto apps yet. Because it's not ready yet. The, the plumbing hasn't been hasn't been mass hasn't adopted. Been built. It's not. It's so the the guys like Andreessen, and the smartest guys, and I, I'm going to tell a, a cool little hack where you can like copy what those guys do. But with Ooh. with um, <laughs> we'll uh, go offline here for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> but um, those guys are 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 betting right now this cycle because it's still it's 2020. This cycle is infrastructure still. So that's where those guys are investing. The applications aren't, aren't there yet. In 2030, now you're going to have decentralized apps like decentralized Uber, decentralized Facebook, decentralized Apple. And those are going to be where you want to put your money. No, so that means like nobody owns the app It's it, a, as a platform yeah. and it just goes peer to peer sharing. So if yeah. I want to call an Uber, Uber's not, Uber's not making money. The price of the taxi is only what I'm paying that guy to pick me up. Mm-hmm. And you're not beholden. I, I was talking uh, to my friend and she Snapchat banned her and all her photos are gone and she can't get them. And it's just like, that's a centralized phenomena. Like you don't control it. You're yeah, just someone a product else someone else does. And <sighs> so, so, but so my little hack, what you can do with crypto is because these coins are public in a way they're trading as an investor, you can actually, you can actually, uh, like, like Andreessen Horowitz, the venture capital fund, yep. you can't copy their venture investments in uh, software startups because you don't have access to it. Yeah. Like you don't, if you Uber, when it was getting started, you can't get access to it unless you know the founder or your Andreessen, like you just can't get access to it and they're not liquid. It takes 10 years for these companies to get liquid and IPO with crypto. It's a whole different paradigm. And what you can do is actually what Andreessen Horowitz, the crypto arm of what they do, 
it's public. They tell you what they're investing in and it's liquid. So you can actually mirror what they do. And, and, and I told you it's all about kind of almost being lazy, like with investing, it's just like buy Vanguard and f- go to sleep and don't be stressed. Same with, with crypto. Like, why am I going to do due diligence on all these deals when I can just Follow copy the big, dogs are the big dogs who have a hundred employees just doing due diligence all day long. and they, they're, what they do is public and you can just go buy everything, they, whatever the, they the, do, the coins publicly, what they have. That's, you couldn't do that before. And it's something you can do now. So like, I, I try not to do too many side investing in crypto now because it's like such a black hole you can go down <laughs> even for me who kind of knows a, a, a bit of the ropes here it's still a, a huge black hole but what i do i'm just like i just publicly i have someone help me like say do some research what are all these top funds investing in which ones are liquid because so, sometimes the coins aren't liquid yet yeah, yeah. they're not they're not launched so i don't get access to those ones yet but as soon as they are you you can go and build a portfolio copying the big dog. So that's another example of just being smart, kind of being lazy in a way and, and trying to do things that create leverage, like something something uh, our buddy Naval talks about a lot too. Oh, I really a, like, you should piece. listen. It's really easy to listen. And honestly, they're really good. I've gone yeah, through I'm definitely going to take a listen twice. to that one. Dude, I honestly, I, uh, I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm not 100% sold like crypto is going to change the world, but you've honestly opened my eyes to things that I didn't kind of anticipate. And just like, I mean, as you're talking, I'm trying not to zone out and think too much, but like, like my head's kind of like turning a bit, and I oh, think it's I'm, I'm a lot in. more interesting I'm than back I in. <laughs> yeah, Rick's easy. Rick's like he's gonna get, get, get done. Por- so Rick's gonna be like, here's a hundred bucks. I didn't say this. I didn't finish before, but yeah. So when I bought my thousand, when Bitcoin dropped to like seven thousand, maybe a year ago or something, I bought another five hundred bucks because I'm like Fuck, seven thousand. I bought at twenty. Like what's if I lose, I lose. Like it is what it is. It's on my credit card. I got some points at least. The gambler's fallacy: double yeah. down on your losing. So <laughs> then, when it went back up to fifteen or eighteen or something, I sold that five hundred. So I technically broke even again, or I came close to breaking even on my original investment. So now I've got probably another five hundred bucks left in my uh, my Coinbase account, split through the accounts. And I said, I'm like, I would love to every month buy like a hundred dollars worth or something. There you go. Like I transfer a hundred bucks into my mutual funds every month. Yeah. yeah. Instead of doing that, it's like I I strongly believe in twenty years we're going to be in a cashless society. Totally. I think in maybe, maybe not 20, but 30 years for sure. Mm-hmm. I think their cash won't exist. Like even now with COVID, I never carried no, cash. Same. My, I have to pay my clean lady in cash. I'm like, can you yeah, accept no, e-transfer? Yeah. She goes, Oh, I'm like, I, I don't have cash. <laughs> yeah. Like, can I write you a check? Like yeah. what? I don't even have checks anymore. Yeah. The checkbook. We ran into this problem the other day. We didn't have yeah. checks. It's like to pay a deposit. For I'm sure a in your industry, there's still a lot of checks flying around and stuff. Oh yeah. A lot, yeah. Like some are just ETF, but I'm also in a service. I mean, he's yeah, in construction. We're in construction, service. So yeah. a lot of yeah. it's paid that way. A lot of his checkbook. No, I think, I think for, for anyone like me included, you got to like, this is a crazy, you risky asset. You're getting serious now. Game on. Let's go. <laughs> Let's start this podcast, baby. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a port, it's an asset. And yep. so what, let's talk about portfolio construction. Like, what what percentage of your portfolio should be allocated to like extremely unclear high risk things? A, a, a big amount or a small amount? I'm I'm yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open to risk, so mine's I'm a little different. I'm conservative. It's, I'm very conservative. It should be small. Like yeah. crypto, if you're not in the world and you're not doing it every day, like I am, like I'm way overexposed to it. I I, I have no business lecturing people on portfolio <laughs> construction. I'm a hypocrite. But ninety nine percent crypto, one yeah, percent bonds. <laughs> but uh, for 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 laymen, just like, like I'm not, I, I'm not a huge real estate guy, but I, I have some real estate, but like, it's, that's not my world. I have a little bit, but not. So it's like, it's a small slice. Like how many, what percentage of your portfolio should you angel invest with? Like five, 
two to 10%, not more. What percentage should be crypto? Two to five to 10%, not more. So it's just like do a little slice. It's not, if you don't invest what you're going to cry if you lose it. And, and it's just part of your portfolio. It's just like, you're, you're constructing your personal wealth. Like, I think more people should think about this. Like, where are your assets? Are they all tied up in one house? That's not smart. Every, you can't have all your assets tied up in a single, single asset. You have to diversify. You have to like spread it out a little mm -hmm. bit. Uh, that's not to say you shouldn't focus on what you're good at and try to build wealth in one area, but like the rest of your assets should be generally diversified as much as possible. That's kind of my take on it. And you have to, how do you diversify it? you got to do it smart. If you all look at the pie chart of where your assets are, even if you don't have a lot of assets, it's still important to like say, Oh, I'm overextended here. Yeah. Holy shit. I have way too much in, in crypto and maybe I should rebalance. That's what it's called. You know, rebalance the portfolio mm -hmm. and like think, think of it more intelligently without just putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Basically. I have two questions. We're nearing kind of the end here. Um, just to kind of give some advice to the things I know you want to add something too, but um, number one, if people want to get into crypto, is there like someone like myself, what would you recommend to, as a starter for like, is it Coinbase to use as a wallet? Is it, is there something else that you, that's kind of your go-to? And then the second is like, is there a good, like, is there a blog that you recommend a website, some kind of literature that, that kind of breaks it down for people. So the listeners, if they want to get into it. Yeah. So Coinbase is the best in terms of it's legit. It's easy to use. It feels like a regular bank account so highly recommend that it's a, okay. the fees are a bit more expensive so if you're doing like high volumes you might have other options because the fees are high but there's a reason they're high because it is the best i, I believe that in terms of research it depends it depends um how serious you are about it. if you're serious about it and you want to go like double click beyond just the surface level like mainstream media version of crypto uh, you should check out A16Z Crypto School. So that's, A16Z is Andrew Horowitz. Yes. and so yeah, they okay. have a crypto arm, and within that oh. crypto, yep, A16Z Crypto, and within that arm, they have what's called a, a free crypto school, which is just so good. Like I've been in crypto for a long time, and it's for me, I need to rewatch all the videos. It's they're all on wow. YouTube. They have a, a, a glossary or whatever of of uh, of resources to look at. It's it's a little down the rabbit hole so like that might not be the most best place to get started but yeah. if you're serious about it and you know a little bit about it you could you should check that out and see if if it resonates with you in terms of like um uh what i recommend for coinbase as well like they have they have a blog and they have like internal resources on explaining crypto what it is and i think that's a good place to get started and coinbase sorry to interrupt there coinbase is good too because you know how td tells you like buy so the experts say buy sell or hold coinbase does something similar too. oh does it do that oh, cool. yeah so it's like uh, if you if you're debating selling it'll be like okay hang tight or they'll give you little timbits yeah so I, I think coinbase is great for an everyday non-crypto person like myself yeah there's also uh coin markets like another good one to see like to download just see yeah yeah, I, I listen. Finance I found this very is pretty good as well. Yep. Which one, sorry, I cut you off. This finance, okay. finance. Yeah. I look. I think this was like really insightful. I, I covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say we could keep going even longer, but just uh, maybe we'll do a part two. Soon. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll see. Yeah. See if people got got value out of it. Like I, another theme too is like there's so many things you can do and just being able to focus. And that's what I struggle with too is just like chasing shiny objects and I'm doing doing all these things. But uh. I, you know, I think for, for everyone, 
who cares? It's just like, you know, there's never been, it's never been easier to start a company. It's never been easier to build an audience, to create wealth. Like it's people forget about like how lucky we are to like be alive today and have access yeah. to all these things. Like imagine in, in our, our parents growing up, like how much harder it is to, to get going and to get reach. And now you can go create a podcast and have like millions of people. Like you get, you get leverage. Maybe not millions. Yeah. yeah but we're, no, but yeah, we're like on the way to hundred yeah, K. No dude. And, and you can like, that's what I'm saying. I think everyone should like take a step back and think of more ways to create like leverage in your life using the tools that are available yep. today. Guess what? You didn't learn it in school. Your parents definitely didn't teach it to you. So you have to go to resources like, like podcasts and all, YouTube, you, you, all the yeah. books that you read. Like it's insane. You can get mentorship from like the smartest people in the world for free on demand whenever you want. I have a thing in my every day for lunch, lunch and learn, eat lunch at, at the desk and go watch some kind of educational content that I want to yeah. learn within my industry. And like, you can just compound your knowledge that way. And then when you combine that with your network, with like, you know, co-founders and engineers and people, it's just like really powerful and, and scalable what you yeah. can do. I would agree. That's great advice. And I, and it's the thing too, is like taking time every day. I, I do the same. I kind of block off. An yeah, hour. I can tell. Yeah. You got the, you know, I just like to, I like, to, I just curious about things. And I like, I mean, I, uh, I like to learn about stuff that, I, that at the moment intrigues me, like stuff I'm reading right now about, that book, Jonathan Hate, I think is interesting. But yeah, like I like to read stuff that I don't understand and kind of get into it. So I mean, crypto might be the next thing I dive into because I do find it kind of fascinating. And yeah, let listen, me, I'll, I'll, let me, I'll, I'll think of a good book because there's there's so many out there, but uh, um, I'll, I'll think of a good book. Awesome. But uh, but the last thing, like for also um, being being smart, like my first company, um, eProf, great domain, and I didn't have enough money to buy it, but that doesn't mean you can't try. So like to this day, and this became like a, a really close relationship with me. I just invested in, in his company. The owner of eprof.com was on, you could look it up on, on who is whenever you want a yeah. domain. And oh, I'm like, Oh, it's not available. Shit. And then just out of the blue, I, I emailed him and I said, Hey, this is me. This is my story. I can't afford your domain, but would you be willing to like do an options contract where you let me borrow it to get my company off the ground? And if it goes well, then I, I have an option to buy it out at a price. And like, that's an example. Um, that was my co-founder's idea, but it's an example of like, you don't need to go and spend money necessarily you can you can go and get the asset and with some kind of side deal or whatever yeah, creative ways and, and get the best of both worlds so they're just just tying into what i was saying earlier to, to wrap up just on like don't go build a website from scratch go use wordpress don't go create an e-commerce thing from scratch. use shopify like don't go and pay for a crazy expensive domain go and try to get a side deal mm -hmm. where you can you can Figure defer it, it later and and reduce the risk of of how you do it that's interesting you it know is. use use other people's money that's o opm if whenever you can like try to i like that you get no you get no <laughs> no uh downside we have another phrase in, internally at the company uh pbe proudly built elsewhere like if if there's something out there that already exists like we're not going to be offended that we didn't build it ourselves like we're proud of the fact that we're smart and we just like use someone else my, my biggest thing now is so our company now we have, um, we're approaching 60 people full time. Wow. And that was like a, how we, how we always used to like network. It's like, Oh, this is my company. This is our size. This is how many employees we have. But now I'm like, I like companies that are like really efficient. Like Small, there's, there's companies you can have a few employees and tons of leverage and you can have tons of revenue with just a small amount of employees. So I would encourage people to think of, think of ways where you can get a lot of scale with 
the most output with the least amount of input, not in a lazy way, but in a strategic way. Yeah. Like what kind of industries, you know, there was, a, there was a company you guys have probably been on called Coin Market Cap. That's where you see all the prices of all the coins. And I know the guys and they, they had th- like three guys in the company and they just sold for 400 million. And I'm like, that is a real business. Like th- not as many headaches. You don't Jesus. have like three people packages. You don't have like all, all these, like it's just like using again. Yeah, pretty efficiently. You're doing smart, right? And, 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 and doing in, in, in industries that you can scale with low marginal costs. Like that's, uh, that's something to think about if yeah. you're, if you're getting started. That's some great advice, That's awesome, man. Yeah. Honestly, this has been like, if we, we didn't, have, if we didn't have to be somewhere, I would, <laughs> we would keep going. This is, I mean, this is this has been great. We didn't even get into like travel or anything too, because I know you you do travel a lot, even for work, and you've met some amazing people. So we'll definitely do a round two. I'm down. Sure. Well, sure. we'll definitely do a round two soon. Um, but to start to wrap up again, as George said, this has been awesome. We want to thank you for coming on. We're glad we finally got to do this, bro. And it's been a while since I've seen you too. Right? I know, since, man. No, since I know. The Western days. And I love, love, love the the venue. You guys got a new studio coming. It's exciting. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm I'm a fan listener, and I, I just keep up the good work. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. it. Sure, appreciate um, so we've got two questions we always ask every guest that comes on. Uh, the first, if there was a movie about your life, who would you want to star as you? My twin brother. <laughs> <laughs> that was a quick one. I mean, he would work for free. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he would, uh, we wouldn't need a stunt double or anything. So That's it, hey, my perfect. Twin brother. That's there actually pretty good. That was I the longest answer we've ever got. Yeah, that was insane. <laughs> the last one <laughs> him, is, if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? Oh my gosh. This one I might have to think about. When, when I was getting imposter syndrome and it says this yeah. Canadian thing, like having this, like, this concept of like, like you, you can do whatever the hell you want. No, everyone's like making it up as they go along. So go, go big by default. Like don't, don't be happy with like a little thing or a little exit. Like just like be, be ambitious and, and, and there's no reason you can't, like I had a bit of that problem early on of just like this awe of like the Silicon Valley and you're just a Canadian kid coming in. But like you need, if you can have that confidence and that ambition and get rid of the imposter syndrome. At kind the of the Napoleon complex, like get rid of that and just think that you, that you can be there. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. That is good advice. Cause I tell you, like, actually I, I didn't know about imposter syndrome until recently. A buddy of mine, shout out to Mark. Mark Halkis is going to be on soon at some point. He told me about it. Cause I was talking about an employee once or, or something like someone we crossed paths with. And anyways, he told me about it and it kind of clicked. I was like, man, a lot of people, like even at one point in my life, like I, I had it as well, but that's great advice. Cool. Boys, Trevor, if people want to find out more about you, your business, where can they go? So my company polymath.network and, and we got a lot of really exciting things coming up. Um, this year and early next year, we have a big project that, that, um, is public that we're, we're announcing that, that, you can check out so polymath.network and uh, me personally just my name on all socials instagram twitter and so on and and i try to keep people updated there yeah we'll we'll post the link trevor caverco for anybody for wondering i don't think we said your last name at the beginning of this <laughs> so we'll, we'll post all the links in the uh in the bio on tag you but again thank you for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure and uh I guess signing off, pal. See you next time. Yeah, cheers. Peace. You like to drink and to smoke to take away the pain. And I don't remember all of my mistakes in every I got alone. No one thing. You're not alright. I'm not alright. <laughs>